Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Amen. Church family, you can go ahead and have a seat. I'm glad that you are with us today. Again, to those of you joining us on live stream, we're really glad that you are here with us. Hey, you'll notice over by the cross that there are four roses. And four roses, those signify new life in Jesus. And this past week, Darius came and pounded a ribbon on the cross, as well as three patients from Salem Free Clinics. Would you celebrate that with us today? This weekend, I'm trying something new, and I'm preaching sitting down. This is the first time I've ever done this in my life. Uh, But last weekend, I got excited, and I moved around a lot and paid for it. Uh, So anyway, as I continue to recover and this knee begins to heal up, I hope you'll bear with me as I uh, am going to try to stay down today. We'll see. We'll see. Today, we actually uh, are going to continue on in our series, Unexpected King. And today, we're actually going to be talking about money and possessions. And some of you, those of you who are your first time here, welcome. Glad you're here. What a great weekend to be here. Actually, I I don't mind talking about money and possessions. I love actually talking about this topic. I think it's a really important topic. And yet, I acknowledge that for some of us in the room, it can create a level of discomfort or even awkwardness. And that's because here in America, we're pretty private with our finances. I know living in the Middle East for for over a decade that I would always be shocked when I would just be talking to somebody and maybe it's my first time meeting them and like fourth or fifth question in as they're starting to just try to get to know me, the question would be, how much do you make? How much, I mean, and it's just like, that's one of the places where I wasn't able to culturally adapt. It didn't matter. 10 years, 12 years living there, when people would ask me that question, I would just be like, oh my gosh, how dare you? Like, what are you thinking, right? It's just a totally different thing. Because here in America, though, we're pretty private with our finances. And then we talk about money in the church, and we mix those two things together. And oh my goodness, he's, gonna, he's, he's about to talk about the temple tax. Oh no, here we go, right? But I kind of get that one as well. I mean, this, this concept of just how, how society views the church and money, and the, the, the bad theology of prosperity gospel, which continues to just grow in its preaching. And, and I get it. I get why, why society is a little bit critical about the church and money and these different types of things. And, and I mean, even when I took this job and was made lead pastor, uh, the, the crew on my street, one of my neighbors, he sent out this text, a congratulations text to me, right? And this is, this is the picture he sends out, right? All in good fun, but he sends it not just to me, like everybody on the street, like, hey, Rob, when are you going to get the jet? When are you going to get the jet? And, it, it, and this was all in good fun, trust me. They know that's not the theology that we preach around here. They know that I'll never have a private jet. Well, no, I'll never have a private jet. And, and that's just the, that's the bottom line, though, that this is sometimes how society looks upon the church and how we, are, how we relate to money and these different things. And so today we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it because it's important. And we're going to talk about it because actually a fourth of the teaching, 25% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels actually deals with money and possessions, which tells me we don't actually talk about this enough. It's a key part of our discipleship process. It's a key part of just understanding how we relate to God and his abundance. For me personally, I just need to start off right off the bat and just tell you that though I don't mind talking about it, my struggle with that, my attitude and my just relationship with money is an area where over the years I hold on pretty tight. Like self-reliance, being a giver and not a receiver, these are things I struggle with. 
I have slowly over the years beginning to relinquish my control and Holy Spirit is beginning to pry my hands off of my own personal struggle with these things. On paper, I might look like I'm a pretty generous person and that's all my wife. To be honest with you, it is. And that's funny and sad at the same time. But slowly my hands are being turned to understanding the abundance of the Father. And I hope that you see that here as well in our scripture today. But for me, if you see passion arising, if you see anything, it's real, it's recent, and it's my own self-discovery and convictions that I'm even receiving as I prepare this message. Today we're going to be in Matthew 6, and we're looking at this Sermon on the Mountain. This is Jesus giving this new way of living, a new way to do life to his people. And, and, and this new way of living in it, right in the center of it, is, talks about money and possessions. And he says, look, your attitude and your relationship with money and possessions, it needs to be clear. He's pretty black and white about it, and he says it's going to look different than the world. But before I jump and read our text, last week I just kind of tried to build a little bit of, of a base that we're going to just springboard off of today. And if you weren't here last week, last week we talked about the feeding of the 4,000. So Jesus has got this crowd on the side of the mountain, and he's feeding the 4,000. And in that, we looked at the abundance of the Father, but we also saw this scarcity mentality of the disciples. And Jesus addresses that scarcity mentality by also pushing us back to the abundance of the Father. And we were reminded of how gracious God's abundance in his giving is, to the point that out of his mercy, he actually gave his son the most transcendent, unexpected gift ever. And today we're going to build on that. We're going to talk about money and generosity. And yet I've titled this talk, Unexpected Peace. Unexpected Peace. Throughout this series, we're looking at the unexpected that Jesus is announcing. And here, the unexpected thing that we see is that it's actually not money and possessions that brings security and peace to us. The unexpected, the paradox in this is that it's actually living in abundance and being generous with what we've been given that gives way to unexpected peace, that gives us that peace that transcends understanding. And so today we're going to be in Matthew 6. I'll be reading verses 19 to 34, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This is Jesus speaking to the crowds. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths, and with, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, the whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. 
And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. In this segment of the sermon, Jesus is, again, he's unleashing this new path of living, this new way to live. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what he is saying is your interior life is what gives birth to what comes out, to your actions, to the way you respond. The way what you bring in and how you see the world will determine truly how you respond. But the fascinating thing in this passage, what, what just struck me is this concept of the lamp of the, of the body. It's your eye, the lens with which you see everything. And for me, I've studied this passage. I've read this passage a hundred times. And I've always taken that little teaching, those couple of sentences about the lamp of the body, the lens of the eye, and I've taken them out of context. And I've always seen those as like, be careful what you look at. Guard your eye because it lets in light and it lets in darkness. So be careful what you look at. But the fascinating thing is here in this passage, that's actually not what's happening. Jesus is clearly talking about our attitude, our posture towards money and possessions. And he's saying our attitude and how we view money and possessions is actually the lamp. It's actually the lens. How we view money and possessions is the lens that determines whether light or darkness is coming into our bodies. That's what he's saying here. I mean, before studying this, I knew that Jesus talks about money a whole lot. I know that's a very important thing, and, and we're talking about generosity here, but our attitude with it is a big deal. It determines a lot, and it's a great way to step back and say, okay, how am I doing? I mean, here, Jesus is talking about money, and he actually deifies money. The word there is mammon. In our, in our NLT, it's actually, it's a lowercase word there for money. But in most translations, it'll actually be uppercase because he's deifying it. He's actually saying it's like a demon, and it's a danger. It's like greed and money is deified. It becomes an idol. And he's saying you can't follow both. And so he gets our attention. Because he knows that our attitude, our relationship with money and possessions is what the enemy wants to use to keep us away from truly understanding his abundance. For me, this stuck out this week as I prepared. I mean, really, our relationship with money is the lens. What about love? What about justice? Those things seem like they should be the lens, and yet, nope, it's money. One of Billy Graham's most famous quotes is, if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. I mean, Billy Graham, he's saying, if you get your attitude towards money, your relationship with money and possessions right, everything else will figure out. Like, sanctification will come upon you. You will see things in a new way. This is a key teaching in Jesus' new way in the way that he discipled his followers. And it really shouldn't have surprised me so much. Because when you look at the overall arc of scripture, it makes sense. 
We have this God of abundance, and it's important that we understand this concept of abundance and scarcity because we have this God of abundance. I mean, he creates the garden and he gives it. He gives it to his people made in his own image, and then he gives Adam, he gives Adam Eve, and he gives them authority over all these things, and they're able to exist in this plush garden, and everything that they need is there, and he's this abundant father, and as we turn the pages of scripture, we see that then he gives his people, the Israelites, a land of milk and honey. Later on, Jesus comes on the scene, and he's one who gives. He give, His first miracle is one of abundance. You need more wine for the wedding party. Here you go. He feeds the masses and they pick up leftovers. He gives his life. And so we see that the way the world was intended to be is one of giving, an abundant God giving to his people. And we are to be the ones that have the receiving posture. We receive his grace. We receive his mercy. When we live from his abundance, we say, whatever it is you have for me, I know that's what I need because you see me. So I want what you have for me. And from that, I will live. But we know that something else happened. Because the word take is seen in the garden scene as well. Take. We're supposed to receive. Give, give, give is the words we see of Jesus. And yet, Eve takes the apple. Adam takes the apple. They partake of it. And suddenly we see a scarcity mentality enter into the story. The enemy wants that scarcity mentality to enter in because it fosters greed, because it fosters reliance, because it says, I deserve that, I will take that. And all of a sudden we see just a whole new narrative enter in. And as we turn the pages of scripture, we see Cain and Abel, and we see all these things. You fight to get what is yours. There's a blindness to those that are in need. There's a consuming desire for more, and the unhealthy stingy. G.I. is what we see. It is letting in the darkness. Even the blessed become stingy. We see it with the Pharisees. They take, they take the concept of tithing and use it to oppress people. Where is the love? Where is the justice? In church family, do you see the narrative in scripture? An abundant giving God in a stingy, lying, taking enemy. And they go at it. And it's why the lamp is the eye. You see, Jesus was pretty clear. He says in John 10 that I have come, I've come to bring fullness for you, that your life will be an abundant life, that there will be fullness, that you will have life to the full. And Satan comes and his big lie is you can't trust God and you can't trust this vision of abundance. And so he whispers into our ear, watch out for yourself. Develop security and self-reliance and take what you deserve. Church, that's the scarcity mindset. And it is a big lie of the enemy. And it is a dangerous lens to wear. The Pharisees tried to live in both worlds and love God and love money. And Jesus came for them. But in this sermon, the beautiful thing is this, this level of warning that he is giving in this invitation to a new way of living. He quickly pivots and he says, but here's the deal. Here's the remedy. My friends, you can trust God. You can trust me. I mean, just look out there. Look at the lilies of the field. Really, look at how they're clothed. You can trust me. Look at the birds. I take care of them. Can you trust me? I made you in my own image. How much more will I protect and care for you? 
I gave manna to my people every day in the desert. I fed the masses with baskets of leftover. You can trust me to prepare a place for you. There's enough to go around. I gave my son. I gave my son. Why do you doubt my provision, my shelter, my care for you? And so here, Jesus is inviting us to trust his abundance. And our response is one of sitting in awe. Our response is one of thankfulness. It's why we come and we break bread and we we partake of the cup together to remember of his abundance and what he has given us. And it reminds us that we are in a posture of reception, that he has given to us first, but it's more than remembrance. Because throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, he's saying what you bring in, what comes through your lens will also result in action. And that's where we see generosity come in. Because church family, our generosity is a reflection of the way we see God's generosity towards us. We give to God the way we see him giving to us. We give from his abundance. And our generosity declares a lot of what is going on in our interior. And so where I want to go for the remainder of this talk is simply talking to you and giving some suggestions that we see here in scripture what it means to live from his abundance and being generous with what we have been given ourselves. And there's three things that I see through scripture. The first is this, that we are to reflect on the abundance that surrounds us. There's nothing more clear from this passage than that. That is the invitation that Jesus is is giving us in this sermon. Really? You struggle to trust my abundance? You think this scarcity mentality is true, trust me, there's plenty to go around. He says, just slow down in life and take a look. Take a look at my creation. Take a look at the birds of the air. Take a look at the flowers that grow. Look at the seasons. You can trust me. I'm moving a lot more slowly these days with this fun knee thing. And in that, I'm observing so much more. It's been actually this this unintended positive thing that's been happening as I just am able to take in more and notice more things that are growing and the way my yard changes from day to day. And I'm noticing more people as I walk from here to Broadway. And it's just this thing. And I'm noticing just new levels of God's provision and his abundance. There's a pastor in London, Andrew Wilson. He pastors a church called the King's Church, and he deals with this idea of the scarcity mentality, and this is what he says. He says, perhaps we emphasize divine abundance too much. Maybe our obsession with wealth and welfare results too much from too much time reflecting on God's fullness. My suspicion, however, is the exact opposite, that we grab what we can because we think our Father's resources will run out. Only by reflecting on his bounty, the vats of wine, the baskets of bread, the grace upon grace, do we cultivate lives that are generous and hearts that are filled with joy unspeakable. As Jesus says in Matthew 10, freely give because you have freely received. I think he's right. The remedy to the scarcity mentality is a reminder of the abundance that surrounds us. We look at the provisions for God's people and the stories of old in scripture. We look at the narratives of our own lives and we look back at how trust has developed. We sang about it earlier. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And we look at his provision over and over in our own lives. May I remind you that you live in the United States of America. 
Friends, I've lived in countries that don't necessarily love America, but the lines at the embassies to get into this land of plenty and abundance are long. Don't take it for granted. Church family, we get to reflect on his goodness, his abundance, his provision. The second remedy here is that we are to practice generosity to the point where it is uncomfortable. That we practice generosity to the point where it's uncomfortable. Tim Keller defines generosity this way. He says that it is the natural, consistent, and occasionally spontaneous giving of our material possessions to God's service and to our communities because of and modeled after what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. I appreciate this definition. You see, uh, talking about tithes and offerings and generosity is worthy of a whole separate sermon, and we will get there eventually. But today, let me just pause briefly to just even define what these are, to speak to tithes and offerings. My quick understanding, tithes is an Old Testament concept. It's not talked about much in the New Testament. Jesus does mention it, but he doesn't lay out just a clear standard of what tithing is. The word itself means one-tenth. For me, humbly, I believe that that's a starting point. You see, because Jesus, he might not talk about it, but Jesus doesn't just remove a lot of these concepts from the Old Testament. In fact, he just, he just takes them to the next level. If this eye causes you to sin, take this one out. If someone hits you here, punch them back. No, that's the easy thing. No. He says, turn the other cheek. And so I believe that that same concept would con- just be applied to tithing. In tithing in the Old Testament, it's this concept of first fruits. It's this concept that, like, I bring my first fruits. I bring whatever I've harvested first. I bring that firstborn animal before God. And it serves multiple purposes. It's one, it's a worshipful thankfulness. It's also just a saying, I trust that you will do it again and you'll provide for me next year the way you have provided me for this, this year. It is brought into the temple to help keep a temple running and to pay the bills there. And it's also distributed then to take care of the poor and the foreigner and those that are in need. But the concept of tithing and the worship and the response and the thankfulness, how much more would we do that once we have experienced Christ's death and resurrection and his grace and his mercy? It's a powerful, powerful thing. It's a rhythm that detaches us from the earth and reminds us of the earthly and internal inheritance that will be ours. In tithing, we move from greed. In tithing, we move from fear and self-protection. And as that rhythm begins, those we see dissipate. If our posture is right, it will never be a temple tax. It will come from an attitude of receiving his abundance and generosity In 2 Corinthians 9, 9, it says each of us should give what we have decided in our heart to give. That's between us and God. It says not reluctantly or under compulsion. We are not guilted into this giving. It is an opportunity. It is worshipful. And it says God loves a cheerful giver. Man, this is a verse that I have struggled with over the years. Jess and I choose to to give a bit above a a 10% minimum. And and we choose to go the, the lazy route. We don't bring cash, which would feel more worshipful, into the sanctuary every week and put it in the boxes. We do that simple withdrawal deal that just happens automatically. But every time it happens, we get an email. And I open that email every month. And for months, I would open it, and I would see that number, and I would think about the places I could have taken my kids and the restaurants I could have ate, and I would kind of just, it felt like a temple tax. But in these last couple of years, every time I open that email, I'm humbled 
I realize how blessed I am. I realize the abundance of God. I realize, like, I am, I, I love my job. I am financially freed up and taken care of to serve and to study scripture and make it come alive to people. And I open that email, and it does create a sense of worship, and I pray that you grow and that it does the same for you. There's an invitation here for us to tithe, to bring our treasure into the storehouse, to honor God with it so that the poor are cared for, so that the lights stay on in this place. But God also asks for these offerings, our compassion-driven given, when something within us just stirs and we, we know that we need to give to that. When we see an IJ, International Justice Ministries video and we see what they're doing and we just feel compelled to give or we see a, a young life story and we say a, a life was transformed and I want to get behind that because God is at work and so we make a financial gift. Or we see a new initiative in the city of Salem and we say that's going to make our city a better place and bring peace to our city and I'm going to get behind that. I know many families that they tithe regularly, but they also set aside a certain amount of money that is going to be for their offerings, where they collectively will sit around the table and say, what is God stirring in you? What is brewing in you that you want to give to, that we can donate to as a family? And it's, it's the offerings. And we also see throughout scripture and, and the, even in the early church gifts of radical obedience, gifts that are unplanned for when just God says, this is something that I want you to do. And these are those scary ones, this, the major steps of faith, the ones that are inconvenient that lead us to just a posture, I don't know what I'm going to do now. This is the area where I'm like scared and still trying to figure it out. I'll never forget, I was engaged to Jess, and we were actually headed to our first premarital counseling session, and we were driving, we we're pretty excited about this, and I, I remember this, this lady just comes out of nowhere and just comes across like these two double yellow lines and just nails our car, and she takes us into this ditch, and we were all okay, but it totaled both of the cars. Totally her fault, but we, we, we walked away from that, but we're like, okay, now we have no car. A couple hours later, I get a call from Jess's dad, my future father-in-law, and he says, hey, man, tomorrow I'm going to bring you a car. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. And sure enough, he shows up. But he shows up with his car. And he gives me the keys. And he says, God told me I was supposed to give this to you. I said, yeah, I know that. But like, you basically are a dean of a little Bible school, kind of RTI, like in rural upstate New York. Like, you, it's like 20 minutes to the nearest grocery store. Like, you live in one of those areas that I'm scared of where there's no street lights and stuff. Like, you need a car. Said, so, no, you're supposed to have this car. We'll figure it out. God will provide. Are you sure? Yeah. But here's the thing, Rob. Finances are tough right now, and I actually don't have the $34 to buy the bus ticket home. So I need you to drive me to the bus station, and would you be willing to buy my bus ticket? It wrecked me. Are you sure? Dude, man, I'm from like a planning household, you know, like I actually have rental insurance, so I can grab a rental in a couple days. Like, we'll be okay. No, God told me I'm supposed to give you this car. It's an extravagant gift that humbled me. Two days later, on a Sunday, he got a call in the afternoon and called me afterwards. A church that he had pastored years ago, somebody got a word of knowledge that he had a need, and they took up an offering immediately and raised 8000 You see, sometimes God just wants to show us. He just wants to show us, hey, how's your lens? Generosity unleashed breaks self-reliance. 
It brings humility. It pries us from self-protection and moves us towards peace. And God wants us to get this so badly that it's the one place he says, test me. And that's the final suggestion that we see here in scripture. Test God with this way of living. In Malachi 3.10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room to store it. Man, this is a great prosperity gospel verse if you preach it wrong. Here's the thing. When you set up that test, friends, when you set up that test, more wealth and provision isn't the desired outcome. This is not an investment strategy. That's false teaching. This isn't a give $50 here and you will receive $500 in the next month. No. This isn't give away your car and you will get a nicer car. That is not the experience of my father-in-law. No. The desired outcome is unexpected peace. The desired outcome is a new level of surrender a deeper reliance and trust on the abundance of the king. It's a detachment from this world and preparation for the world that awaits us. And it's why in the letters to the early churches, we read this in 2 Corinthians 9. I've already read the first part, but it continues on. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result, it will result in thanksgiving to God. It's the paradox of generosity. Money's not bad. Many of us in the room have it. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. It's an abundance from the king. And he's asking you, how is your relationship with it? It's the paradox of generosity. It can let in the darkness, or it can bring light and unexpected peace. And so church family, as we close, the reminder is, the invitation is to a new path a world of abundance and generosity from a God that does not lack, a pushing away of the scarcity mentality, but we are created to have a posture of reception. And when we do that, and when we live from his abundance and the proper lens is on, light comes in and what comes out are the fruits of the spirit. What comes out is love. What comes out is joy. What comes out is justice and care for the poor. It's a beautiful thing, and we get to live in it. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are a good father. Lord, we get to live from your abundance, and your abundance is amazing. You are not a stingy or angry God, but you are a kind and gracious father. You have been good to us. And Lord, I just pray that even in this room that you would release us 
from a scarcity mentality and way of thinking. And that with that, you would replace it with new levels of generosity. And Lord, as your abundance flows, would you bring new levels of peace to us? Would you allow us to experience that peace and to not only give away our finances, but to give away the peace that comes? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving us your son. And we live from your abundance today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.